Welcome to YEGMS episode number four. On this episode, I talk about weddings, vitamin D, politics, and I have a wonderful conversation with an old friend of mine, Joe Riley. Stick around. YEGMS episode number four. Uh, I have a story to tell uh, to start this episode off. It's uh, just what just what happened to me over the weekend. I uh, my wife asked me to attend a wedding with her of uh, some uh, a, f- a friend that she used to work with, and I'd only met her and her new husband one time prior, and that was actually my wedding, which was five years ago. And I'll be honest, I'm not. I don't like going to weddings. It's not it's not my thing. I don't like the speeches. It's really long. It's awkward. I don't like getting dressed up. Um, you know, you, usually, like, if you're not really close with a couple that's getting married or family, you get stuck at, a, you know, like, sort of the random table, you know, where it's just, like, we didn't know where to put you, so here's some random people for you to sit with. Um... And, it, you know, it's just not something, my, not my thing. And, it, you know, it's funny. Every every guy that I talked to during the week that I, that I told them I was going to a wedding with my wife on the weekend, they all gave me that look like, you poor man, like, you, uh, it sucks to be you. Like, we get it. And, you know, I don't mean to be out of my brethren here, but ladies, I'm not going to lie to you, you know. I would think that your average guy, whether he'll admit it or not, when you ask him to go to, you know, some friends' wedding that you haven't don't spend a lot of time with or what whatnot, chances are pretty good. Even though he might say he wants to go, he doesn't. You know, I funny. You know, thinking about this, I mean, we after the wedding on on Saturday, we were on our way home. We stopped for a bite for eat, and I got it. We got a text message, you know, from some friends of ours who live in the same neighborhood, and they were just about to light a fire in their backyard. They said, "Do you want to come sit around the campfire?" We said, "Sure." So we got there, and of course I sit down and I'm moaning about, about having to go to this wedding. And we just got talking about weddings, and and my wife and I, my our, my my wedding, um, I wouldn't say it was unconventional. Uh, it had some unconventional elements to it, uh, and the unconventional elements, a lot of my guy friends really liked, and. One of them came up at, uh, we were talking, you know, the, the couple we were with, I, w- I was actually the best man at his wedding, he was the best man at mine. And my wife and I got married first, and we came up during around the campfire how, uh, I guess he had said to his wife, well, at Sean's wedding, you know, we got to wear bowling shirts, do I really have to wear a tux? Because we did, we, we wore bowling shirts. And uh, I guess Kelly was... Uh, strongly cursing me. I can't use the exact language that she used, um, you know, during the wedding planning process, because I think I, I threw a wrench into a lot of her, potential wrench into a lot of her plans, but between herself and the, and, and, and the two mums doing the planning, uh, my good friend got, got overruled at every turn. And one of the other things that I managed to 
minimize at my wedding was the speeches. I think in total, uh, the speeches went not even a half hour in total. Um, and there's a reason for that. I, I was one of my, I didn't want any and I got overruled, uh, a little bit, but, uh, at the end of the day, I was able to keep them to the minimum. And one of the things I'm proudest to say that I was able to eliminate to my, from my wedding altogether was the obligatory PowerPoint slideshow. That did not happen at my wedding. There was no, you know, slow country music to pictures of me when I was in diapers and pictures of my wife when she was going to preschool. None of that. That got completely cut. There was no slideshow. There was no screen in the place. So... Uh, you know, I take, you know, take, I take the small victories where I can get them. So I, you know, I look back at my wedding very fondly because it was, it was really, I thought it was fun. Um, but of course I thought it was fun. I was the one getting worried. I'm sure there's people that are sitting through that thing going, oh, geez, when can we go home? And that was me on Saturday night. So, you know, and as I was thinking about talking, or I was talking about this for this podcast, I decided to, you know, do a little snooping around and, and the, uh, the epicenter of information that Yahoo Answers is uh, struck again, and one of the one of the, what I typed in was, why do men hate going to weddings? And of course, somebody asked that question to Yahoo Answers, and there was one answer here that I think I really, um, I really would say that uh, I agree with, and the uh, the poster's name just was David. And his answer was, I'm, answer was to the question, why do men hate going to weddings? And his, his response was, I'm not into them unless I ra- really, really know either the groom or the bride. If I don't, I'd rather stay home because I'm going to be bored as hell. Another thing is I hate introducing myself to people who I most likely won't see. It's like, what's the point? I also hate when people try and make small talk with me just to be polite. I especially hate the question, what do you do? It's like, do you even really care what I do? I'd rather engage in a deeper conversation. I hate small talk, especially with a group of strangers. Amen, David. I don't know who you are. I don't even know where you live or where you're from, but I have to say I 100% agree. And the funniest thing about that answer was, I wouldn't even say five minutes after I sat down at our table, I got the question, so Sean, what do you do? You know, I don't know why that's where everyone starts or why that's the question that gets asked. But yeah, yeah I got the question that, uh, that question. So anyway, uh, you know, it's funny that I mentioned that I don't particularly like going to weddings since that, you know, well over 50% of the people with MS are, are, are women. Uh, so if I am, uh, upsetting <laughs> a large portion of the audience that may be listening to this episode. I apologize. I don't hate the institutional weddings. I just don't particularly care to go to them. Um, you know, and, I, and it was funny when I was at my buddy's uh, sitting around the fire on, on, on Saturday night after we got back from the wedding. I said to him, I don't even like going to friends' weddings. And he said, well, what about mine? You know, you're the best man. And I said, honestly, I didn't want to go. I don't like wearing taxes at all. I mean, really, honestly, they're uncomfortable, and I don't think I pull it off. You know, I, I think I, for the most part, most men don't pull them off. Uh, I don't understand why women make, think that makes us look better. Like Sean Connery, that man can pull off a tax. No problem with that whatsoever. 
Me, I'm not nearly that good looking. I don't pull it off like he does. And it's uncomfortable, and you got, you know, buttons and ties and stuff, and it's like, what, who decided that that looked good? Anyway, I, that's just me. So anyway, my buddy looked at me, and he said, so you didn't want to go to my wedding? And I said, well, I went because you're a really good friend of mine, and, you know, if somebody asks you to be your be their best man, and you're really good friends with them, I think you're obligated to do it. Doesn't mean I wanted to. Um, and I don't think that makes me, if I, just if I'm being honest. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm a horrible person. I have no idea. So again, if uh, anyone's really offended on my opinions on weddings, I, 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 I apologize for offending you. However, I can't, uh, I can't, I, I can't change how I feel. I don't see, I don't think any, uh, I can't see how anyone would change my, my opinion. So anyway, another stuff, uh, a article that came out in the news this week, and it's not going to be a big surprise to anyone with MS or it shouldn't. I mean, I think this is pretty well known, um, and several news uh, news outlets reported this, and it was that uh, uh, well, the one I'm looking for, looking at right now is CBC News, and the, and the title is "Genes Link Low Vitamin D with Multiple Sclerosis Risk," and then the subtitle is Four genetic genetic variants strongly linked with uh, with low vitamin D levels." Um, I've written. I mean, I, I've been. I've been really interested in the link between vitamin D and MS for. Um, well, I mean, this is going back to probably 2007. Uh, it was the first time I was introduced to it. Maybe 2008. I know I've written about it a couple times on my blog, uh, and of course I'll post links to all this stuff on the on the companion blog post to this uh, uh, to this podcast and. Um, yeah, I would recommend reading. I mean, I know myself, I, I supplement with uh, 4,000 units of uh, international units with, of vitamin D in the morning and 4,000 at night. Now, I should preface that by saying I don't recommend that anyone out there do what I'm doing. Um, you know, taking too much can be uh, hazardous. Um, you know, bear in mind that I'm a 220-pound male. Uh, and I have had my blood tested to make sure that my vitamin D levels weren't too high. Um, and last time I had them tested, they were normal. So you consider how much, how much vitamin D I'm taking. I'm probably one of these people that is genetically predisposed to not getting enough vitamin D. Um, and also that, you know, if you're living in the northern region of Alberta or, or Canada in general, especially during the wintertime, I mean, yeah, you know, one of the arguments that I've always heard is, when I've talked about potentially moving back to BC and in, in, in for a better climate, is that you know, wow, you know, we get the most sunshine in you know in Canada, you know, however they they rate that, and even you know, and we get there's sunshine in the winter time, and well, when everything but your eyelids are you know covered with scarves and toques and stuff, I mean, I don't know how much sunlight you're actually absorbing during the winter. And, you know, I know for myself, when I go to work at 8 o'clock and I get home at 5, it's, I leave, it's dark, and I get home, it's dark. So, um, and obviously, you know, you, you absorb vitamin D from the sun. So, anyway, it's worth reading. Um, you know, if you're not supplementing with, with vitamin D, I would recommend talking to your doctor about it. 
I know my neuro uh, recommends it. It's uh, and I think it's pretty common now. Uh, and and the nice thing about vitamin D, it's cheap. I mean, you're talking about you know three four bucks a, a bottle. You're not talking about you know tens of dollars. You're not even talking about you're not talking. But certainly not talking about hundreds of dollars. I mean, you know, average thing of vitamin D you can get at Shoppers Drug Mart for four ninety nine or five ninety nine. It'll last you you know a month or two. So you know it's worth looking at. Um, yeah, so if you have MS and you're not supplementing, definitely look at it. I'll leave the link on the on the accompanying uh, blog post to this podcast and, you know, look into it. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, again, that has nothing to do with MS, is the upcoming federal election. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know if you're, if you're listening to this, if you're big into social media, you're big into Facebook, or, you know, if you're following this or not. Um, a couple things. First thing is, I know myself, my news feed, you know, when I open Facebook and every day people are posting stuff about, you know, basically don't vote for this party. There are a bunch of business hating hippies. Don't vote for this party. Uh, there are a bunch of right wing nut jobs. Don't vote for this party. Uh, all they care about is the, whatever, right? And I wish people would have a more constructive conversation about it. Like, if you have a party that you're really jazzed up about, that's great. And, I, and I'd love to hear why. But what I want to hear is not the cliché uh, political back-and-forth bantering, you know, dirty politicking that goes, along, goes on. What I'd prefer to hear, and, which I, and I haven't heard, and I, and I would challenge, I mean, if there's anyone who is a member of a you know, a, a political party out there listening, or um, what I would challenge anyone to do is give me an actual platform, give me an actual plan. Like if I look at the Liberals, or if I look at the PC, or NDP, or Greens, or whoever, I've yet to hear a cohesive and coherent plan from any of them that explained to me why I should vote for them. Like what are these people going to do to make it better? Not for me, just as an MS, or just in general, what are they going to do? You know, like, yeah, okay, there's the whole Mike Duffy trial. And, it, you know, it's a nice distraction for, for the parties that aren't the conservatives, and they can, you know, a nice way that they can attack uh, the current government. However, that's not telling me why I should vote for them. They're just trying to tell me why I shouldn't vote for the other guy. And, you know, the people in power, again, why should I vote for you? They want, you know, it seems to be more scare tactics. Vote for us because we're hard on terror or we're hard on crime. Yeah, I get that. But what are you going to do to make it better for the average Canadian? I'm not talking as a person with multiple sclerosis. I'm talking as a father, a husband, um, you know, uh, somebody who pays taxes, who goes to work every day. And what are you going to do to make it better you know, for everyone, and what steps are you going to take? And, and it's very, very seldom you hear anything, anything on any of the four of them that touches on it. You know, you hear. You know, I, I would never. But anyway, I just think that it, it would be better if the conversation was steered towards more, more towards what are people actually going to do to make things better for Canadians. I mean, maybe I'm nuts. I, I don't know, you know. Stateside, you look at what's going on, on in the U.S., and again, it seems to be more scare stuff. And um, why can't it be about 
fixing infrastructure? Why can't it be about healthcare? Why can't it be about and and, speci- and and then specifics like how are you going to fix healthcare? How are you going to fix infrastructure? How are you going to get um, you know fixed economy because we're going into another recession? How are these things going to get fixed and what are you going to do to fix them? And not those mac- macro level like v- things that they say where you go. Well, I think he said something, but I'm not really sure what it was. Or it sounds like he has a plan, but you can't. I couldn't explain to you what it was. Specifics. Anyway, anyway, that's just me. It, it just I see it every day on, on on Facebook and Twitter and this and that and you know. Uh, and I just wish that there was a more constructive conversation around. Anyway, getting to the most important part of the podcast. Um, this podcast is a is pretty special to me, uh, from the sense that. Uh, the person that I spoke with uh, for this one, I've actually known for probably 15 or 16 years, uh, since 1999 or 2000. Um, and since well before either one of us got diagnosed with MS. And, you know, I was diagnosed almost eight years ago, and Joe Riling, who you will hear in a, in a couple of minutes, uh, was diagnosed about two years ago. And how Joe and I got to know each other is when I first moved to Edmonton in 1999, I worked as a bartender at the Montana's restaurant in St. Albert. And the lounge backed onto a parking lot. Across the parking lot was the back door to the Crown and Tower in St. Albert. And Joe was a bartender over there. And we really got to know Joe because we closed earlier than him because we were a restaurant. And I was usually the last person on because I was a bartender. And me and whoever was working, myself and whoever was working in the bar with me, uh, and, and whoever was closing up in the kitchen, we'd call over, and a lot of the time it was Joe working over at the Crown, and we'd call over to her and, and put in an order for a couple of beers before she called last call over there, then we'd walk her out over, over the parking lot, and got to know each other that way. And then over the years, uh, through a mutual circle of friends, or a mutual social circle, um, we'd always main, maintain some level of contact and it was a real, uh, it, it, it was really, was bewildering the right word? I don't know. It, it really hit me when, uh, she reached out to me, uh, a little, little under two years ago. I don't, I don't know, I can't remember exactly when, but just after she got, got diagnosed and told me that she had MS and it was, uh, you know, he, here are two people that knew each other, know each other for 15, 16 years, and here we are 15, 16 years later, and, you know, we're both fighting the same battle. So, it was, it was a good, it was, it was a powerful experience for me to, to speak with Joe and kind of get an update and on how she was doing, and, um, you know, and she's had some involvement with some of the MS groups and, and with the MS Walk in St. Albert's, and, um, and it was a really good conversation. And this is the first of these um, interviews of, or conversations that I've had with other investors that I, I didn't really edit it. I, uh, I just kind of left the audio as is. Uh, I cleaned up some of the background noise because we were sitting in a coffee shop in St. Albert. Uh, and I know I've mentioned this in previous podcasts that I really have to stop doing the interviews at a at coffee shops now, but this is, you know, I did all the interviews in the span of about a month and a half during the summer, 
and I've now since realized that I have to change the way they do them. But the audio is pretty good. I mean, I managed to clean up pretty good. You can hear, you can hear us clearly, and uh, it's funny near the end you can hear the, the the gal that works there come over and tell us that you know it's time to go. We're closed, um, which is kind of funny. Um, but anyways, I want to thank Joe for taking the time to talk to me, and um, I hope you find our conversation helpful. sitting here with Joe and Joe was diagnosed with MS roughly two years ago that's correct um, so why don't we start off you just tell me your story with regards to MS just how did how did you find out what started it mm, a lot of weird things going on um, I uh, had been suffering from a bit of depression couldn't figure it out and then woke up one morning um, about six months before my diagnosis and could not ear hear it on my, one of my ears. The hearing had shut off. It sounded no like, way. Really? Yeah, it sounded like somebody had literally put headphones on my head and turned one off. And went to my general practitioner, had her take a look at me, she couldn't figure it out. So went to audiologist, a couple other specialists, nobody could figure out what was going on and then woke up another morning and my hearing had come back. So about two weeks after that, um, I had also noticed I the depression was getting worse and worse and the gentleman that I was with at the time was having a hard time dealing with my depression. And. Uh, I then, about two weeks later, woke up one morning, I couldn't feel the right side of my face and panicked because I kind of thought, okay, is this a stroke or what is this? Went running to my general practitioner and right there she said to me, she's like, this is a neurological issue, something's going on, we need to get you into a specialist. I went, okay. She's like, so please keep track of what is going on in your body. That's weird. Um, in my personal life, a lot of things were kind of up in the air and going on. It's not easy. And uh, I started losing my balance and I was easily aggravated and I was having trouble focusing on things. Whereas before my entire life I've been a multitasker and I've been very gung-ho and always the glasses half full. And suddenly things weren't and they were very bleak. And uh, I had gone over to a friend's house to help him out with him in his backyard. And I was under some cedar trees and all of a sudden the feeling on the right side of my body totally went tingly. And once again I panicked. I'm going, is this a stroke? What's going on? And read what you should do and to be aggressive to make sure it's not a stroke. And uh, felt, okay, I need to go and see my general practitioner again and went and saw her. This was the beginning of June 2013. And she turned to me and she's like, I think it might be ALS or you may have MS. Something neurological is going on with you. We've got to get this figured out and you in as soon as possible. Um, in a matter of two weeks, uh, the balance kept progressing worse. And I went to work on a Wednesday and my coworker asked if I was drunk. And yeah, 
nine o'clock in the morning, years of being a bartender, never drinking on shift, and suddenly she thought I was drunk, drunk on shift. I thought, this is ridiculous. And I tried to get up from my desk, and I couldn't get up. I, my legs were not understanding what I was telling them, you know, one foot in front of the other. And so I called my sister-in-law, and I said, I, I need you to come pick me up. Somebody needs to come and pick me up, take me home. Something's wrong. And so she did. And uh, the very next day, I got into my general practitioner, and sure as heck, she's like, okay, this is either MS or ALS. We really have to become a little bit more aggressive about it. You need to take time off from work and deal with this. So when you heard the when you heard MS, yeah. um, did you know what it was prior to that? And what, and what went through your head? With the idea that it was either or, um, I'll be honest, I stayed away from the Google gods. Because the Google gods, you put anything in there and it always says cancer and death. So I kind of <laughs> went, holy crap, no, I'm not doing that. So I started to reach out through my friends. And hey, does anybody know anybody with ALS, MS, Lou Gehrig's, anything? Um, I need to talk to people that have this and to find out what they did because going on the internet is scary. It's the worst place. Yeah, it is. It really is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. So, um, Which is funny because this is going to go on the internet. You know, but, yeah. <laughs> so sorry, internet. But anyways, yeah. uh, it did scare me. And so I kind of shied away from it. I was stuck at home. I, I, the home that I live in. Um, has a lot of stairs, so I was stuck on the main floor, um, and my 75-year-old father was came over to take care of me and my dog, and uh, I, I reached out and started talking to people, and one individual, one lady that I talked to who had MS and had been diagnosed for about eight years, a lot of the things that she, I had as symptoms, she could relate to. <clears throat> However, she also had other symptoms that I never had. The same eye issues. I, I never had the eye issues. Um, but the mobility issues were constantly and consistently getting worse. Mm -hmm. And I was scared to go to sleep because I go to sleep and I wake up and something new didn't work. Uh, I got to the point where I was having trouble holding a fork. I couldn't walk. I had to boot scoot everywhere. If I needed to go upstairs to have a shower, I literally had to sit on the floor and pull myself around with my, my hands, and I couldn't even make a proper fist with my hands. How's that now? It's much better. How's your much handwriting? Uh, actually better. Mine's um, awful. It's just awful. It? Oh, yeah. My handwriting was always, my mother always told me I should have become a doctor because my handwriting was always chicken scratch. So I guess I made me even more aware of it. Um, and one of the joys of my life, I've been criticized my entire life for being stubborn. And when I can't I finally, see that about you. No, no. never after working with me. Um, but I have to give it kudos. If I wasn't as stubborn as I am, I don't know if I would have come as far along as I did. We'll put it that way. Um, I got told uh, about two weeks into June after, well, not mid-June, probably about, yeah, okay, yeah, two weeks into June, uh, by my general practitioner that I may have to accept the fact that I might be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I wouldn't. 
So. Well, why don't we just uh, take a break right there for a second? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's uh, it's okay. I mean, I think one of the toughest things for for new MSers in general is that you get told that this might happen or it may not. Yes. And and you know and. You ready to accept it? And what do you do with that? I mean, what do you, and what does what does a person do with that in their own head? Um, and you know, I'm eight years in. You're two years in, and I'm okay with most things now. Yeah. But that's still the thing that drives me nuts because you don't know what's ne next week going to look like, what's yeah. next month going to look like, what's next year going to look like. Um, the only way I cope with that is I don't think about it. I just I plan my life as as normal. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that I can relate to you there. So, so you 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 know you found out. You're two years in. Yeah. Um, you're doing better now than you were. I'm actually healthier now than I was before. It sounds so bizarre, but I was eating like crap before. I was I was sucking up stress. Like you wouldn't believe. I would walk into situations where they were stressful, and I knew that they would be stressful. And I, with open arms, I welcomed them. Um, I, I changed different things. I would run and do a 10-hour work shift, and then I would come home and paint my walls for eight hours. I ran myself down constantly and never thought there would ever be a repercussion for it. Now, minimum eight hours sleep a day. Stress? Far from. I've even left jobs just due to it because who needs that? Mm -hmm. Like who really? <laughs> a year from now, is it gonna matter? No, it's not gonna matter. So why am I letting it bother me now? Let it go. Um, I I eat better than I ever have in my entire life. And so I now a question for you. No. For people that are listening to this, I Joe and I have known each other for. 15 years, roughly? At least. At least. Um, do you still smoke? <laughs> have you, have you, I, do you I, want to turn that on? Yes, you may have to, because yes, I do still smoke. I don't smoke nearly as much as I did before. Um, it is my one vice. I can't seem to kick. I've kicked so many other things, but this is one I'm still having, having difficulty letting go of. I, I completely understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about getting healthier, you're healthier now than you were then. I mean, you yeah. you would remember me from, let's say, oh, seven or eight years ago when I was about 260 pounds. Yeah, Sean, you're buff now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still call it, I, I'm still in the man bod, man, or no, what's it, dad the bod? The dad bod. The dad bod phase, but I think it's a better dad bod than it definitely was. You're a heck of a lot healthier. Yeah. Than, yeah. But you know, in, in reality. You're more aware of it now, aren't you? Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think it would ever would have happened had I not got diagnosed, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, when you and I met, I mean, well, one of the reasons why you met is because you were a bartender and I used to sit at your bar. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I was always a social smoker. I never was a, as you as you're well aware. Yes, yes, constantly. Can I bum one? <laughs> yeah, it's menthol. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was your ace in the hole right there. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I know it's amazing, and I think you really hit on something. You know, it for me, it took something this serious. Yeah. And even for 
at least five years, maybe six years after I got diagnosed, mm -hmm. I would still occasionally have a pop. Um, and it's only been really the last two years where I've been completely clean, not smoking. Um, so yeah, I can relate to that. I totally can relate to that. And when you say, well, you know, I've given up so much, it's my last vice. I mean, I'm still at the point now, I've given up dairy, I've given up gluten, I've given up all these things. I know. But if I sit down and have a place, plate of chicken wings, and I've told my wife, if I'm having chicken wings, I'm having ranch with it, I've given up enough, yeah. that's, that's, that's my end. I'm allowed. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to know occasionally, yes, no, totally agree with you on that. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. <clears throat> Giving up stress, and it sounds so weird, but that was a big, huge one for me. And it actually changed a lot of the aspects of some of my friendships. Because some of my friendships was me being there while they were stressing out. And to always be the rock that they could lean on and try not to let it affect me but it it always did I ate it up and it sat inside me and it really affected me you were like a sponge a bit yeah no. so I, and I think it, maybe it was also because of 15 years of bartending 15 years of bartending it's always being the free psychologist <laughs> it's so true a lot of the time people just need somebody to talk to and I understand people do need people to talk to and sometimes they just need to vent but before I used to suck it in now I repel it I realize you know what you don't need to try and fix this you just need to listen and that was a huge change and it changed a lot of aspects of some of my friendships with people because some people were not happy with the fact that there were times where I'd have to go I can't I can't be there for you right now I can't deal with listening with the, to this right now it's nothing personal I still care about you I just I have to um, yeah a lot of things had changed even certain relationships in my family as well had changed as well so well I just find that Number one, I, you know, when you talk about stress, I, I did read something years ago, and I'm sure that I, I, I wrote something about it on my blog, um, that people can actually become addicted to stress. Have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes almost self-fulfilling because the attention that they get releases, now I could be butchering this, it's just my recollection of what I read, releases certain chemicals in the brain that are similar to what you would experience from smoking or potentially doing drugs or whatever. Yeah. And while the person's not even conscious that they're doing it, they seek to stress out because it gets them the attention, it gets them into that whole thing. And, you know, and if you, I know for myself, when I, when I look at the people in my life, there are certain people that there's always some sort of crisis or there's always some sort of crisis coming and you think, how does that happen? How or why? Right? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I totally agree that stress for me, in my course of disease, has been a trigger. Like it, it can trigger a bad day. Yeah. I actually ran myself, this, this is probably not going to be surprising to you, but I ran myself down, you know, after doing the run and then two weeks later doing the bike tour. Yeah. And then after the bike tour that Monday, I hopped on a plane went to Vancouver, I went to Van I was Vancouver, North Vancouver, Langley, Kamloops in a two and a half day span. Honey, you're burning your candle. Yeah, yeah and then the next week, sure as 
you can set your watch on it. Yeah. I take I take my day off work because I the fatigue just got to me. Because you mentioned sleep, and I I know myself. I don't get enough. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I use the parallel of hitting a wall a lot of the time. Um, I I'm still trying to learn because there are times where I'm like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. And I push myself too far, too fast, and then I hit a wall, which means usually I'm out of commission for two to three days. So staying up that extra four hours just to keep that friend happy because they want to me to stay out later with them or is is actually going to cost me more in the long run. So I, I, I'm really, really overcautious about my, not only the balance, as we were talking about earlier, but about certain stress levels and my fatigue. Because, yeah, when I, I, when I hit a wall, I hit a wall. I don't want to get up, I don't want to move, I just want to lay there. Not even watch TV, nothing that takes any energy, I just want to roll up into a ball with my dog. <laughs> That's it. That's it. So. And do you find that you can, you know, literally sleep for 12 hours? Easy. And then you wake up, sometimes you wake up to sleep and you still feel tired. You know, and that, that's one thing I don't think you can explain to people. Yeah. Because they'll just kind of look at you like, what? Are you still tired? Yeah, I know. Um, <clears throat> and then you feel guilty about it. I don't know about you, but I feel guilty about it. When I, after I've slept a full 10 hours and I wake up and I'm just I'm too tired to do my hair. So I throw my hair back in a ponytail or a bun and then I go to work and I'm just, I'm not social or something like this and somebody will make a comment, I'm just tired, I'm just tired and I'm trying to push my way through it and nine times out of ten I bail out early and go home and cuddle with my dog. <laughs> but I'm trying to explain it, it's hard. One of the things I had to explain to my wife is sometimes I, I find myself acting a lot during the day, mm -hmm. like acting as if I'm just okay. okay. I, I'm just as normal as everyone else, yeah. especially when I'm, ha I'm having a bad day. Yeah. Uh, and it's only been in probably, well, you can't do some of the things that I've done and not out yourself as a guy with MS. I mean, everybody at my work knows, I mean, um, so I feel like I don't have to act as much anymore. Um, but before, I always felt like I'd act, and then when I would get home, I would literally crash. Like, I, I had nothing left, because they took so much energy just to hit a very basic level um, that I had nothing left by the time I got home. Well, I'll be honest with you. I had no idea that emotionally that this can cause, like, this... MS relapses can be caused by emotions I had, or stress. I had no idea. And I always welcome stress. And I, yeah, I can handle it. Yeah, I can deal with it. Yeah, it's just one more thing on the plate. Um, to the point where my best friend has even said to me, she's constantly jokes around that if you want it done, just give it to Joe. She'll do it, get it done. And I do. I get it done. Um, but so now I know. We have to pause there because Joe and I are sitting at a coffee shop in St. Albert, <laughs> and I was sure that she was going to start running the blender, uh, but she didn't. So, anyway. Okay, I've got an interesting question for you. You had mentioned that you had spent so much time trying to hide that you have this, and I'll, I've, I've been guilty of it myself. But I'll be perfectly honest. I've always been—I am who I am. I've always kind of been that way and very 
I guess, gregarious kind of about it, maybe even obnoxious about it, in the sense that this is who I am, that's how I, what I'm about, things like this, and I've always been very open. So when I was diagnosed with MS, and people asked, you know, oh, you're sick, oh, you're kind of tired, blah, 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 I would just explain to them, you know, actually I have multiple sclerosis, or I've always been very open about it, I've never really hidden it unless I find that it's a time that it's not appropriate. Put it that way. Like you, you don't say that in front of employers and stuff like that um, until you're a little bit more comfortable with them or new friends. But in front of old friends, I've never, I'm, I, the MS groups and things like this, I hunted them out and I went searching for more people with MS because I wanted to hear their story because I wanted to know what I could do, how I can improve myself. Mm -hmm. And it's always good to have somebody there who can relate, yeah. who can understand what you've gone through. And I know, and I do apologize, because I know I reached out, out to you, mm -hmm. and uh, I really appreciate the feedback that you gave to me, but you had mentioned that I find it more with men. Like, they, they are a little bit more hesitant about being open about this kind of stuff? Um, well, what happened with me is that when I got my official diagnosis, mm -hmm. I got hired by the company that I've been working for ever since the same month, and it, oh. and it never came up in the interview process, right? Obviously, they can't ask you that question. Yeah. Um, so initially, I, I, I never hit it. Um, socially, like I, I mean, I've been, you know, air quotes out of the closet, you know, with people that knew me in my social circles since the beginning. Um, but at work, I felt like I didn't want somehow to lose that job because, you know, if you remember Joe way back when, uh, you know, I, I, I was a partner in that restaurant and I had that little little cafe downtown. Yeah. I lost both of those, right? So, because I, my attack was so severe, I couldn't work. And, you know, I went seven or eight months though working and then um, all my savings dried up. So, I lost two businesses. I didn't lose my house, thank, thankfully. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I managed to, to pull that out of the fire. But, so considering what I'd gone through, it was like... You were hesitant. I, I didn't. I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag. Because what if yeah. somehow? I mean, I know I'm, I'm smart enough now to know they could have never let me go for that reason. Yeah. Uh, and now knowing, you know, you know, knowing the owner of the company that I work for, he never would. Uh, he was a huge supporter of the run. Um, you know, it's it's not a concern now, uh, but certainly back then, that that's the reason why I was kind of, you know, I mean. To, lack of a better way of putting it, that's why I was closeted about it in my work life. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, you know, you, you mentioned that you sought out the different groups and that to talk to and you sought out, sought out other MSers. I never did. Uh, the first time I sat down with a group of other MSers, other than people that I knew like yourself, yeah. uh, was maybe three months ago now. It was just, it was about a month before the run. It was, oh. um, there was a pub night downtown downtown Edmonton yeah. for the uh, MS bike tour yeah. and the M MS society had asked me to come out to a few of them to, to talk and explain to them what I was doing and um, so I ended up sitting with uh, Patricia who's the spokesperson for the MS bike tour and I and uh, 
uh, Dave, who I mentioned before, and a few other MSers. And that was the first time I really sat around and just shot the breeze about MS and stuff. And I found it, other than the other interactions where people have sought me out to say, hey, I like what you wrote on your blog, or yeah. this runs really inspiring, stuff like that. Um, I'd never actually just sat down and said, hey, like, you know, and I found it really comforting. And on that note, every year at the bike tour, when we do the, after the first day, there's the big party at the exhibitions grounds in Camero. And the MS bike tour spokesperson always invites all the other MSers up on stage. Yep. This is the first year I ever went up on stage. It's my fourth or fifth bike tour. It's the first time I went up on stage. And the only reason I can give you why that is, and the only reason I felt compelled to go on stage this year, and this is honest, I'm just being brutally honest, yeah. is because a lot of people obviously because of the run knew who I was, and if I didn't go up, it would look pretty weird. <laughs> right? What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally see your side. And but why didn't you ever go up there before? Honestly, I didn't feel the need. Uh, I've never, and we were talking about this before we started recording, but mm -hmm. I've never felt the need or felt compelled to be the center of attention. I just, I don't like all eyes on me, which is strange because of what I did, but. Yeah, but I don't think you went and did this with the intent of having all eyes put on you. No. I think you, you went with a really genuine intent and that happened, which is a nice little bonus. So. Well. Point of view. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But no, I, I'm kind of curious because, okay, going back to the pub days, um, there's a gentleman that has been sitting at the pub, uh, one of the old boys, mm -hmm. for years and years. And Mr. years. So everybody's aware how Joe and I met. We used to work at uh, basically bars that were across the parking lot from each other. And we spent a lot of time, and she's refer referencing uh, some regulars at the place that she used to work at. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. The old boys. Yeah, yeah. the old boys. Yeah. The old boys. And they all sit around the bar, and they're there every single day, and if they're five minutes late, you panic because you wonder what's wrong with You're them. You're like, they're it's finally happened. <laughs> yes, yeah, oh, hopefully not. Um, but one gentleman in particular used to come in all the time, and I used to refer to him lovingly as Smelly Melly. I think you Mel. Yeah. And sweetest guy ever, but like a cactus. He literally used to agitate the other guys sitting around the bar and used to get in little verbal spats with them. I know exactly and, who you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, and he's always puts on this persona that he's tough and rugged and grumpy, just grumpy, miserable. And unless you get on his good side and see the teddy bear side of him, you're just going to think that he's kind of a jerk. And I had always, for years, kind of noticed that he held onto the bar stools when he walked around. Went to the restroom quite often. Um, occasionally had trouble articulating what he was trying to say. And that's your job as a bartender to kind of keep an eye out for those things, everything else. But I, I never put it together with being intoxicated, so knew it had to be a health issue, and kind of had been thinking that it might have been Lou Gehrig's. So when I got diagnosed, um, word kind of went out, because a lot of the girls that still work at the pub um, that worked with me had come to see me at the hospital, and uh, were concerned, and of course had told a couple of the old boys about it, and it came back to Mel. 
And the very first time I re-entered the pub um, and to go visit the old boys after my diagnosis and after being in the hospital, Mel immediately came up to me, grabbed me, and went, I have it too. No and way, went, really? Yeah. That so totally makes sense. I okay, served yeah. him for 12 years. This is five years after me leaving, or sorry, three years of me after leaving the pub. Like, it, it, how did... And we sat there and had a good conversation for at least an hour, talking about the symptoms that were affecting him, how he, how long he's gone on without a or being diagnosed, and how long he went before a diagnosis, things like this. And it was very eye-opening. And it was strange because right before I left, he, yeah, the other guys can know. And I went, well, do they know? Like, had this been kind of a secret that I had never known that a couple of the other boys had known about and things like this? And I kind of went, okay, not my place to say. So continued on. But uh, there was an incident that happened about four or five months after I took my dad into, because he likes the old boys too, mm -hmm. and took him in for breakfast. And he was visiting with a couple of the old boys. And I had asked, like, where's Mel? And... Uh, Ellen had turned to me and he's like, oh, he he hasn't been in for a little while, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll message him, see how he's doing. And he's like, oh, he'll be fine. He's grumpy. He's just grumpy. And I kind of turned to him and I said, well, you know, maybe it has something more to do with it than that. And he just looked at me and he goes, you know, there's no excuse. He's just grumpy. And I almost, I really bit my tongue because it's not my place to say anything. But I literally, leave him alone. Mm -hmm. Leave him alone. You don't know what he's battling with right now. And it kind of also plays on to another thought, which is, once again, talking about the stress. Often, when I'd be out and people would be rude to me, I would take it very personal. I would kind of go, holy crap, you know, this person's, this person's a jerk, or blah, 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 or she's being such a bitch, or, you know, they're... And I was judging them as much as I know they were judging me. Now that this has happened, I have a little bit of a different perspective. You don't know what everybody's battling with. You have no idea. That person who cut off or cut you off in front of ugh, I can't talk. I'm sorry. Twisting <laughs> my tongue. The person worry, who cut edit. you off, yeah. <laughs> the person who cut you off in front of you or cut in front of you in traffic. Like maybe they just got a diagnosis that they have breast cancer. Or the guy who was rude to you at the supermarket and kind of shoved ahead of you and grabbed one of the carts. Maybe, Maybe you just lost a job. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like you, you never know what each individual was dealing with. And all that time, I had no clue. I really had no clue. And it kind of surprised me because when I talk to other people with MS, um, the women are a lot more, yeah, I have MS. Whereas the men are a little bit more let's go over to the side and let's talk about it. And well, I, you know, I've never quite understood, is that a different, is that a, I have, I have, sexes again? I've, I have met one, uh, one MSer who, a, a lady who um, is very close off, is not very open about it. Mm -hmm. um, but she would be the exception to the rule. Yeah. And I think with men, you know, as a man, you never want to show weakness. Well, you have a mess. You know. But it's a battle every day. Like I, I okay. Oh, sure. I, it, it is. It, it's a battle every day. It's a battle to make sure that that you keep yourself healthy. 
And I know it sounds, it's something you take for granted before, but it is, it's a battle every single day. And... Keep on. And, and we're back from another pause, uh, <laughs> another, blend, another blender scare. Anyway, we're, what were we talking about? I, my, okay, growing up, my mother had cystic fibrosis, diabetes, and asthma. Wow, she, that's a list. Yeah. She passed away when I was 14. Um, she was always very open about her health issues as well. Because it, she always had questions. People always had questions about it. But I remember there were days where it was difficult for her to get out of bed. And watching her get up and do volunteer work. Um, and put on a happy face during it. To me, that was a true sign of bravery growing up. Um, overcoming small obstacles sometimes are the bravest things that you can do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's not a firefighter life. <laughs> it's not. It's not an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. But let's be real. I, like doing stuff like that is brave. You know, on the on the. On the points that you were making in the last couple minutes, my, I've said this a, a, a few times to people, uh, the way I, I, I look at MS for myself now is that I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're really rich, you're really poor. Um, I don't care if you're a man, if a woman, it doesn't matter. My, my honest belief is it doesn't matter who you are, everyone has challenges in their life. Yeah, everyone has it. Um, MS is one of mine. It doesn't, but it doesn't have to define me. Yeah, it doesn't have to define. You know, one of the things that really, that really pissed me off, frankly, when I when I when I decided I was going to do the the really long run. Now, granted, that was twenty five pounds ago. Uh, when I would tell people about it, initially they just kind of give me a look like, yeah, right, because they would never consider doing doing it themselves. Right? To be honest, that was incredibly brave of you, yes. <laughs> um, so their, their, their take on it was, well, I wouldn't even do that. He has MS. He can't do it. It'll never happen. And you, you, they wouldn't say that. Yeah. But you could tell them the countenance, the way they're holding themselves, the way, that they're, the way that their eyes were, that that's what they were thinking. Mm -hmm. And it really, really irritated me because... Now people are trying to put their limitations, the limitations that they put on themselves, on me. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to try and keep this podcast clean, so I'm not going to say what I, I really think, but basically, uh, <laughs> blank, out, Sean. Blank, out. blank that, that's, that's not me. Yeah, right? no. And when you, you, you mentioned sort of at the outset of our conversation about stubbornness, oh, yeah. I almost think that's a benefit. It's definitely a benefit, because I'm sorry, I was constantly being told, you can't, or you won't. Bullshit. Sorry, you may have to edit that. But. Edit, edit. <laughs> but I was not open to accepting that. That was not acceptable. This was not, in my mind, this was not how I wanted my story to go. And I, I'm not saying that that's not acceptable everybody that you want to edit this part too because that was probably taken the wrong context but just speak on i i for myself i was not going to go okay um i could have i i could have easily gone along with it and 
just said, I, I'm going to give up, but I wasn't willing to give up. I'm too stubborn. I'm too much of a old P-I-T-C-H for that kind of thing. I like it. Spelling it out better. Yeah. And um, anytime I've ever been told in my life, no, you can't do it, I've always... Doesn't it just fire you up, though? I, it's, it's ammunition for me to prove that I can. Um, I was raised in a household where, no, you can't do that. Okay, then you got to prove that you can do it and do it even better than before. So, I, honestly, when people tell you you can't, not only does it fire or should fire you up, but don't take that as the ultimate be-all, end-all. You know, this, specifically with this disease, I find it changes day to day. Um, two days ago, I woke up and it felt like I had ice cubes again on my feet like big ice cubes where I have trouble moving my feet and I know because I'm wearing flip-flops I can hear when I'm actually <laughs> my, feet, my feet are permanently numb but I'll tell you yeah, this when you, run, when you run really long distances yeah and I I, I, I guess I mean this kind of fishy uh, it is what it I having really numb feet as a, as a distance runner mm. is actually a benefit because when my finger when my toenails started coming off <gasps> I could oh my god what oh yeah oh no 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 I lost no. two. No, 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 no. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, um, I couldn't feel it though, so it wasn't that bad. Anyway. Well, I'll agree with you. Like, there have been times. I, I okay, right now, literally, it constantly feels like I have wool socks on up to my kneecaps. From my kneecaps That's down. That's a w good way to describe it. It, it yeah. feels like wool socks. Like, you want to itch them off, but you know, it's pointless because they're there permanently and they're thick and you can't quite feel things throughout it. I have the same on my hands. Um, I constantly have a feeling of a corset on across my ribs and a corset across my legs, like on both the back, my calves. And um, there are days where I call it my ice days because I am one of those weirdos who love the heat. Um, I, I don't know why. Can I, can I ask about the heat? I grew up in Kamloops, and I can handle dry heat. Yeah. Right. If if it's 35 degrees in downtown Kamloops, love it. Yeah. It's dry as long, but I can't. But if it was, for example, my my in-laws' house, they keep it warmer than I like, and if it's still air inside, yeah, my skin you? starts to crawl. And see, I'm I'm okay with the dry heat. I'm okay with moist heat. I'm okay with it all. I'm not good with the cold. I literally become the tin man in the cold. It feels literally like there is straw being pumped into under my skin. It just it feels like it's straw and it's hard for me to move and I when the temperature go, goes below minus 10, I don't leave my house unless I have to. I've been told that's an odd thing particularly with individuals with MS, um, but he doesn't really upset me. Do you ever system. get night sweats? Have you ever experienced that? Oh, yeah. Okay, oh so. yeah. Yeah. Like so, really bad, like where, you're, where you soak the bed? A few times. Yeah. So I actually have especially bed sheets, which are causing or cause more breathability. My dog is usually my telltale that that's going to happen because he usually sleeps on my head on a regular basis. <laughs> He'll move over to the other pillow when my temperature goes up too high. My home already, when I purchased it, had AC. 
So I keep the temperature in my home between usually about 22 to 27 degrees. And for me, that's comfortable. But at night, I drop it down to 21 because occasionally the night sweats do occur. Um, when they do occur, I head downstairs. My basement is bloody freezing. But I'm I always wearing moldy socks. Even then, like, I could be absolutely boiling hot outside right now, and I, I still want to put on moldy socks right to now. To sleep, I could literally have the AC blowing on me. I don't yeah. sleep, I, don't, I rarely put a blanket on. Yeah. Because I'm really warm most of the time. My wife is very cold. <laughs> so, and with the heat that we've been having here the last couple of weeks, or yeah. last month, probably more likely, um, she she sleeps in our bed and I sleep in the basement yeah. until the because if it's hotter than about twenty degrees, twenty one degrees in the house, I can't sleep. Really? Yeah. So yeah. I just go to the basement because you know it'll be a nice it'll be a nice seventeen eighteen down there, and I'll be down there no blanket. Just love and oh God. life. I'd be, I'd be freezing. No, I go to bed still with woolly socks on. Oh. I, I need, <laughs> not woolly, fluffy, fluffy socks on. I'm always cold. Like right now, temperature-wise, I'm actually at a comfortable point. But uh, yeah, and when this disease started hitting me worse, it felt like I was being submerged into ice. It literally felt like I was being submerged into ice. My hands were, when you're outside and you're making snowballs with your brother or sister when you're a little kid and it's minus 20 degrees, you don't want to go inside because you're having too much fun, but your hands are so cold that you're having trouble moving your fingers. That's what that felt like to me. And same with the feet. So I call them my ice days. So there are days where I- I my, don't get those, I can. Oh, and Another interesting thing too, here's another one. I never knew this. Did you know that you, do some MS patients actually feel like burning on their feet and their limbs? Yeah, I've, I've had my, my, mild sensations of that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's interesting you mentioned that um, my wife's an acupuncturist and there's a point right on the front of your shins where she can put a needle and it actually alleviates that. Really? A little bit, but the second, oh. yeah. Um, it, you know, what it, what it do, I have no idea what it does, it, or if it's just mental, if it's just because somebody's actually physically trying to do something to help me, to help you? if that's what's doing it. Um, but I do know there's a point right in the front of my shins that I can feel it. it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because I, I'll be honest, I've always had the ice cube feeling, but heat, not so much. But I always, I thought in springtime that I was suffering from severe dry skin on my feet. Severe. And I was putting coconut oil on my feet. I was putting lotion, everything, all the way down to polysporin. Because I'm sitting there looking at my feet going, you don't look dry, but I can't feel the pain. I just feel this weird tightening of the skin on my feet. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I was a slathering with lotion, but I, because it always felt like it was cold, but dry. And I went to one of the MS groups, and we were sitting there, and we were kind of chatting, and somebody brought up burning feet. And right there, I'm like, okay, time out. Backpedal, what are you talking about? And I'm like, what is this? And uh, they, the group started talking about, like, the different feelings that each of their feet have. And so I was hearing from other MS patients that I felt like the skin on their feet had actually tightened, incredibly tightened. 
and I mm-hmm. kind of went, okay, that's kind of interesting, and that it felt like it was burning to them. Maybe now, I, sh- I should just be, feel lucky that I just can't feel them. Well, I've, I'll be honest, I've stepped on a pickle jar, and I didn't feel the glass go into my skin, nothing, couldn't feel something. Well, it's like my toenails and, came off, and I had yeah, no like, idea. There's where I was kind of, I found it two hours later after I had walked all across my carpet and left blood trails, which sucked. But things like that. That's why I'm like, oh, you lost toys. <laughs> no, that's actually a good point to jump in. I wanted to ask you about. So you've gotten involved with the MS Society. I know you were at the, the MS Walk here in St. Albert. Yep. Um, and you go to some of the groups in that. And, and as, I, as I mentioned on, on during this, us talking, yeah. um, I haven't done a lot of the going to sit and chat with other MSers other than when the MS Society has asked me to go speak. Um, which is, a, which is a completely different animal because it's just me talking. You know, I stay go on stage, I'm like, oh, this is what I'm doing, blah, 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 and then I leave, and then I'll have people, some people will approach me, yeah. and others won't. So um, how did that start for you, and how do you, how do you find going to those meetings? Um, it started when literally about, I'd say, a week before I actually went through my diagnosis. Um, I had contacted uh, one of the people that I had been talking to, who had MS, and recommended that I contact the MS Society. Contacted the MS Society, and I was told, there's group meetings, you should really look into it. Unfortunately, the group meetings do break up over summer. And uh, this happened over summer. So I kind of went, okay, I don't know what to anticipate, everything else. Then I was admitted into the hospital, um, spent nearly three weeks at the U of A, getting treatments with prednisone and going through hardcore physical therapy. And as soon as it started up in the fall, I was at the point where I was able to walk with an aide. Um, still wasn't able to write quite properly yet. Um, however, I was starting to come to grips with it and go, okay, you know what, this is something that I can, I can deal with, that I can work with, and I can accept. And I remember going to the very first meeting not knowing what to anticipate. And uh, it was great. So, so, so set the scene for me, because I mean, again, I've never been to one, and I probably should go. Um, so you walk in. Is it? Is it? Are you sitting around a table? Is it bench style? Is it? Do you walk in? Is it? I mean, is it like group of tables? Okay. Group of tables. Um, it's people of all walks, all ages, all situations. Some of them been diagnosed for over 30 years. Some are there that were only diagnosed within the last two, three. Um, and it's, a lot of the time they do educational things. They'll bring in a speaker to talk about um, nutrition, how to do the taxes, things like this, things that can really help you. But also having others there that you could talk to who can understand and you can turn to and go like, oh, well, do you have this symptom or was there anything that you did for it? Um, yourself, you did acupuncture. Um, I originally started with my diet uh, because of a lady that I had spoken to. And then you kind of also assisted me, directed me in the, the go to Dr. Terry Walls, mm-hmm. um, look into those types of directions. I found that reaching out and communicating with each other um, was a lot more helpful and saved me a lot more on foot cream. Because <laughs> 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 I was like, what is going on? Um, but did you, you bring up the diet? Because uh, 
you know, when you probably would have first reached out to me, I was a lot more in the, in, I'm. You were a little bit more private about it. Yeah. yeah. And my position on it right now is I follow a paleo style diet. I'm not nearly as hardcore as Dr. Walls. No. Um, I don't know that I could be. I know. But at the same time, <laughs> I also. I aspire to be, but I know. Yeah. But I also follow the instructions of my neurologist. I take my meds. I, yes. Um, and I and I found that, you know, especially and again we, we mentioned the you know going on the internet at the beginning and it's kind of a dangerous place, especially if you're looking for that kind of type of information because it seems like there's two very militant camps. There's one on the diet side that basically, if you take the meds, you're just the shill for big pharma, yeah. and you're you're stupid, and your neurologist is basically just a pill pill pushing uh, idiot that. It's just doing it to make money, and then there's you know, and then there's the other side where if you just do the diet, well, you're no better than the you know, uh, the people that anti-vaxxers and things like this, and it's hard to find a middle ground. Yeah, and, it and, is, but you have to do it for yourself. Well, if the way I the way I see it is I sit right in the middle because mm -hmm. I you know what to be honest, with you, I really don't care who's right at the end of the day. I don't. I you wanna, just want to be able to be mobile. Yeah, I don't want to get, I don't want to become more disabled or, or dis, you know, right now, uh, I don't feel disabled because I can still run, I can still drive, I can still, yeah. I'm not in the wheelchair, I don't have to walk with a walker. I mean, I do have some physical symptoms, but for the most part, I live a very normal life. And the way I look at it is if I can take a little bit from here and a little bit from here and mash them together, I may be naive to think, well, maybe I'm giving myself the best chance, but at least I'm trying. Yeah. At least I'm listening. Unless at least I'm open to listening about diet, but I'm also like my neurologist. I don't, I don't have any reason to believe that he's just pushing pills. Uh, because when I had a, a small relapse, he was the first one to say, "Well, we should probably take you off that one and, and try another one to see if you you you, know, you, you do better." Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that? Um. Okay. I'll be honest, I am not on any drugs right now. Um, however, I'm not closed to any drugs. I'm open to trying drugs. However, I'm... Well, I don't, think you I, feel, think this, I don't think you should feel bad about not being on the meds because, as you know, well, I didn't, didn't take the meds for like the first three years, four years that I... Yeah, yeah. I think, honestly, myself, I'm trying to figure out what my body needs mm -hmm. and what works best for my body still. It's been two years and it's still a learning adventure. Um, I grew up in a household where, once again, my mom was sick, so I watched a lot of the time they would, the doctors would give her a drug and then she'd have a side effect and then here's another drug for that side effect. And it's then, a never ending. And it was constantly that domino. So growing up, I grew up in a household where my mother tried to do things because her situation was different, as naturally as possible. You have a head cold, eat some ginger. You need to eat some ginger root, have some honey tea, things like this. Uh, it only, I, I don't remember taking medications as a kid. Um, I and this is the weirdest thing, I was one of those and strangely always healthy kids, relatively healthy. Yeah, I never get sick. Yeah, I never yeah. ever got sick. And so I, I always got, like, you know, always thought it was because I, I kept things pretty neutral. So I've been put on a few drugs um, and unfortunately found some pretty bad side effects. And Which ones did you take? I've tried... Uh, Betaserone okay. and Copaxin. Yeah, I was on. And the pill one. To Tecfidera? Yeah, that one. And uh, just kind of strange side effects that I was not comfortable with. 
Um, they do have other ways to be able to handle it and be able to give you some other medications to help those side effects. But I, once again, I, I have grown up in a household that was... So the diet with, without what had gone on with my mom. Yeah, I yeah the diet kind of, speaks to you more. It's, the, the diet's a more natural way for me to be able to control it. However, um, my neurologist agreed to go primarily with the diet. Do you and, take any stress supplements? Like, do you use vitamin D? Oh, yes. Okay. Vitamin D, uh, omega-3, kelp as well, a multivitamin. Um, any B vitamins? No. No. Uh, I eat... A hell of a lot of vegetables, a lot of fruit, a lot of sulfur vegetables, a lot of sulfur based. So you do, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the recommendations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of a little bit, but uh, I also have done some tweaking with it. Um, me and my brother are both adopted. Mm -hmm. um, due to that fact, we don't know our family health history. So my general practitioner turned to me a long time ago and said, "Never cut out calcium out of your diet." You need to have additional calcium in your diet. Um, you don't know if osteoporosis may occur. So I've cut down my dairy a lot, mm -hmm. but I haven't completely cut it out. My only dairy is ranch when I have one. Interesting. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wish I could. I one Greek yogurt every day. That's what mine is. The Greek yogurt. I one Greek yogurt and occasionally some of the things that I cook with cheese because you need cheese as a binder but I don't eat any grain I don't eat soy I don't eat corn um, I, I am pretty strict about a couple of the other ingredients no more aspartame I was the queen of diet Pepsi I don't know <laughs> I had a diet Pepsi and diet Dr. Pepper addiction issue but they taste awful oh you kidding me I can see you give me a regular coke it tasted gross to me I needed the diet coke I don't know why it's just even with my coffee, I used to drink it all the time with aspartame. Now, no aspartame. No false sweeteners whatsoever. Um, no processed meats. No... No bacon? Just so you know, we are close at nine. Sure. Okay. No, not a problem. Uh, bacon is very, very limited. Extremely limited. And even then, that's the only kind of... Because it's so good. It is really good, but you know, a lot of the time it's really processed. Oh, I know. It's Sometimes awful. It's really, really processed. Yeah. So if you can actually buy in like over farmer's market kind of bacon or even the Enjoy Center, they actually have a good bacon there, which isn't, you can tell that it's not Yeah, when you get bacon processed. from a farmer's market, it's, it's, just a, it's just a, but it's like, it's like $12 for five strips. I know, but it's so good. <laughs> so this is where you kind of get to splurge a little bit. I will be honest, I can't do the organic. My budget won't permit me to eat. No, we can't either. We did get a we did get a community garden out where our house is. Yeah. And you know, in the summertime, we get a lot of our, our, our vegetables out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and last last summer, we didn't do it this summer. Last summer, we were we were growing uh, kale on our on our porch. You uh, like kale? I still can't eat kale. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you just have to steam it. Like I, steam no. it till you can tell it. So it's you know it's you know, it's not my favorite thing. Swiss but chard, I, kale, and bok choy. When I'm on, I can't do it. When I'm really on my diet, yeah, uh, it's quite a bit of it. I'll have eggs and kale for breakfast. Not kidding. And see, I can do eggs and spinach. Not a problem. I don't know why. Just something in my system just goes, no, you don't. You're not a kale fan. But I won't lie to you. Ever <laughs> so, since the ever since the really long run, yeah, my diet just went off a cliff. Oh, did it? <laughs> so I was just kind of like, eh. 
but now I'm I'm really starting to get back into my routine yeah. um, just now. So um, since we got to you know start wrapping this up or getting the uh, or getting the the big, the big cane um, before we finish off, what do you want people to know about MS? It's not a death sentence. It's far from. If anything, it's it's another journey. It's just another way for you to take a different perspective. Um, be angry. Be mad. Grieve what may have changed, but embrace what also can come. There's... It's changed my perspective. It really has changed my perspective. I've stopped and actually know what it means. Smell the roses. Uh, yeah, you start to appreciate life more. Yeah. And, you know, I've said this um, before. In some ways, it's been a blessing. And yes. it's, when you say it to people, they kind of look at you like, are you nuts? Yeah. But... Uh, I don't honestly sitting here talking to you. I don't know that if I hadn't got diagnosed because you knew me before. Yeah. If I ever would have got married, if I would ever had my kids, like I don't know if any of that stuff that would ever would have happened if I didn't slow down and really start looking around and valuing what was important. Yeah. I'm a very, very, very different person today than I was seven years ago. You're a heck of a lot more introspective than you were. <laughs> yeah. Before it was what Pierce type. Yeah. <laughs> but we all were like that. I, I was guilty of it too. And yeah, this I, I'll agree with you. I looked at it as a blessing because now they knew what's wrong. It wasn't constantly walking around with a giant question mark above my head. There's not a question mark. There's a little bit of a semicolon. Um, but there's not that, what is wrong with me? Because before this, I was walking around going, what is wrong with me? Like what, and blaming everything else. Now I have an idea of what's going on yeah. and how I can change it, how I can work on it. And it's not as scary. It's not as scary. Cool. Yeah. Well, why don't we end her there? And Joel, thanks for sitting down with me. No, not a problem. Um, Always. If I if I ask to have you on again, you think you'll? I'm open to it. All right. Although, yeah. <laughs> Next time I'm bringing Kleenexes, and we gotta choose some place else that doesn't have a coffee grinder. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the coffee coffee grinder lady. All right. Well, thank you for doing this, and uh, we'll cut her off here. My pleasure. my conversation with Joe Riley. Um, I know I just said it in the at the end of the audio there but I want to thank Joe again. Uh, it was a really good conversation for me and um, it's just amazing to me how MS touches so many of us close to home. I mean like I said we, we've known each other for a really long time and I I don't think anyone, either one of us could have guessed 15 years ago or even 10 years ago um, that we'd be coming together a decade later to talk about how we both have multiple sclerosis. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's it just goes to show how it affects people everywhere in all walks of life and how prevalent it is 
uh, in the capital region and, and um, yeah anyway so that's uh, the podcast uh, for this episode um, you know I apologize if my thoughts on weddings are uh, may have offended anyone uh, I also hope that my little political rant uh, wasn't out of place but uh, sometimes it's just you got to talk about what you're what's in your head uh, you know, I think all of us you know sharing this this journey with the disease can relate to that that's not always MS related right so and uh, next up in two weeks is my conversation with Neil Blue um, what can I say about Neil? I think that uh, it's a conversation to look forward to. Um, you know, he hasn't even been diagnosed that long, but he's got a lot of fire. He's got a lot of energy. He's got a lot of really strong opinions and a lot of really strong things to say. And uh, you know, what I would say about Neil is uh, the conversation I had with him um, was phenomenal. And and out of anybody that I've, I've spoken to. Um, you know, Neil pushed me and in a good way. Um, and he wasn't afraid to talk about any topic. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, I really admire about Neil is he really wants to get a MS support group for, for new MSers uh, off the ground. And I've talked about it in previous podcasts and we'll talk about it again in two weeks when, when we have in, Neil's interview on. But in a nutshell, what Neil wants to do is he wants to start a support group where uh, it's like a mentorship program. So a newly diagnosed person with MS uh, can get paired up with somebody who is like an MS veteran um, who can, you know, walk them through the voodoo and walk them through what's working for them. It's what's worked for people that they know. And, um, you know, because I think all of us that when we first got diagnosed, it's a pretty lonely feeling and you feel like, Nobody could possibly understand. Um, one thing that's really come clear to me, and especially through doing the podcast and talking to other investors, is you need to talk to people who get it. Um, so that will be with the conversation with Neil. Uh, last couple housekeeping things. Uh, MS Bike Tour next year. Uh, I would really like to have 30 people on my bike team. We had 18 last year. I want to add another 12. Dave Gordon, who was uh, uh, was on, on the last episode of the podcast, is on the team. Uh, I'd really like to get other MSers on the team. So if you're listening to this and you're all thinking about it, uh, you'll be going with other MSers. It's a great weekend, powerful weekend, um, and it's just a great way to feel part of something. So, you know, if you if you if you're interested in joining the bike team. Uh, please email me at Sean, S-E-A-N, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's O-W-N, multiplesclerosis.com. You can also tweet at me, and my Twitter handle is at ownms.com1. That's O-W-N-D-O-T-C-O-M, and the number one. Uh, You can email me anytime. Also, I think... By the time I have ne- the, the next episode, episode 5 of the YAG MS podcast prepared, uh, I will have picked the official date for the really long run to end MS run for 2016. Um, I've committed to the MS Society that I'll get them a, a finalized date. So 
that's in works too, in the works as well. Um, and for the really long run, uh, love to see more people out and running. Um, or if, you, if you're not able to run, completely understand. Uh, if you want to volunteer, if you just want to be part of it, if you want to, uh, whatever. Just if you want to be part of the really long run next year, whether you want to run 5K, 10K, you want to run a half marathon, uh, whatever it is, or you just want to volunteer. Uh, again, email me, Sean, at multiplesclerosis.com. Uh, if you forget that, just go to the ownmultiplesclerosis.com website. Click on the contact link. It'll tell you how to get a hold of me because uh, I'd love to get as many people involved as possible. So, again, if you're interested in the bike team or if you're interested in the really long run or you want to do both, get a hold of me. Um, yeah, and it, oh, last thing, very important. If you'd like to be a guest on the YEGMS podcast and share your story uh, with regards to multiple sclerosis, get a hold of me, email me, tweet at me, uh, get a hold of me on Facebook, uh, whatever is easiest for you. Um, I now have the capability where we don't even have to meet in person. We can do it on the we can do it on the phone. We can do it via Skype. We can do it via FaceTime, and I can record the audio. Uh, which actually would probably be better than doing it the way I've been doing it in coffee shops because it won't get a lot of the background noise. So I, I you know, I've got uh, the interview with Neil next week, and then I got to find someone else to email for or to interview for episode six. So again, if you'd like to be on the YEGMS podcast, uh, please get a hold of me, Sean at ownmultiplesclerosis.com, or on Twitter at ownms.com one. Facebook, you can search out the really long run to end MS. You can search out own multiple sclerosis, or you can search out Sean, uh, Sean Wingrave, W-I-N-G-R-A-V-E. Add me as a friend. Uh, get a hold of me. I'd love to have you on. And uh, anyway, until next week, in my conversation with Neil Blue, take care, and we'll talk to you then. Bye.